0: Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the good news according to John, uh, chapter 17. Let's share in God's good word together. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, so that they may be one as we are one. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We believe in one holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. By the time I was in fifth grade, I could say that really fast. It's like a preacher's kid challenge sort of a deal. And the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer. And if we're not careful, it can be something that is just on autopilot. Have any of you all ever driven from your work to your home only to realize that you went to your old home and not your new home? Because you're just on autopilot. Just the way it is. And if we're not careful, that's the way it can be with our faith. And so for seven weeks, we are pulling back and saying, yes, this is what we believe. We're reminding ourselves. We're re-remembering, if you will. This is what we believe. It's not rote. It's not something that just happens around us. This is truly what we believe. And so it's a a very important series that we remember who we are as God's children and what we believe. And not just what we believe, but what Christians all around the world believe. That you're part of something much bigger than here. And we thank God for that. So as a way of moving through this, we're actually in week five of this series. We're almost done. And so we're moving through the series. And in week one, uh, read it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And friends, if God is Father, then all humans, all of us, are brothers and sisters, and you matter to God, you matter deeply, and so does everybody else on the planet. There's no one that you will ever lock eyes with that Jesus doesn't care deeply about. And that should change the way we act and think and work and share. So that was week one. Week two is this. Say it with me. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Jesus of Nazareth was and is God's chosen King for all time. It never ends and has no boundaries. And this is a very large concept that Jesus is Lord of all, of all. Those who have come before, those that will come after, those who are on the planet at the moment. All seven billion of us. Jesus is Lord of all time. And He came. And the person who just happened to grow up in Nazareth in a carpenter shop. Not what you would have expected. Not what the world expected. And then we learn more about Jesus in week three. Originally it was all supposed to be in one week. You just can't do Jesus in one week. There's just no way. And so we, we divide it up. And here's some things that we ought to remember about Jesus. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. This is to tell you when it happened. It's not to beat up on Pontius Pilate. It was crucified, Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell, which uh, Methodists have pulled out because it was added later. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence, Jesus shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Now, this is great news, friends. Because if Jesus descended into hell, and the scriptures say that he did, then there is no place in heaven or on earth or under the earth. Where Jesus cannot find you and save you and help you right where you are. Jesus knows your address. And he knows your friend's address. See, the question really isn't so much, do you, does your friend know Jesus? We all hope they do. But the good news is Jesus knows them. Jesus knows them. And it's our job to connect them sooner than later. That's what we're here to do help non-religious and non-active folks become radical Christ followers so you can have life now, not just later. So when it says that Jesus has come to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, that's what that means. This is actually good news. Most of us don't read it that way, but it is. Because the judgment is not about punishment, but what? Justice. Justice is shalom, right? When all wrongs will be righted. Where there's nothing missing, nothing broken. That's justice. And last week, uh, Dr. Grell shared powerfully about the Holy Spirit, which is, of course, why we're here. Book of Acts chapter 2, where the church is birthed by the Spirit. And so what we know about the Holy Spirit is that it empowers God's will through you. That's what the Spirit does. And so everything in the creed from the Holy Spirit on is all a gift of the Holy Spirit. All of it. The church is a gift of the Holy Spirit. The church was and is created, protected, and powered by the Holy Spirit. We only exist by the Holy Spirit. And so oftentimes when we were starting out and they said, oh, you're, you're Acts 2. Are you all filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm like, well, I hope so. or We're done. <laughs> right? We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what they really meant to say is, do you all raise your hands in church? And some of us do and some of us don't. And some, what they mean is, do you all speak in tongues? And the truth of the matter is, some of us do, and some of us don't. And we're okay with that. We don't opt people in or out by any of those things, right? We simply ask that when you come to worship, that you do it authentically. That you worship God as you are because you can't worship God as you're not. And so people want to know how you're supposed to worship in a way that connects you to God. Whatever that means. In the early church, folks would simply lay down face down on the ground. Because God was so holy and so other when they... And that's when you hear that they, they fell at Jesus' feet... They did. They fell at Jesus' feet face down and they they touched his feet because that's what you would do for your master. It was a reminder of who Jesus truly is as King and Lord and Savior. So this week we come to the Holy Catholic Church. Will you read this with me? I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, there have been some folks that have been wounded by the Roman Catholic Church in their upbringing, and there have been a lot of folks that have really been blessed deeply by the Roman Catholic Church. That's not what we're speaking of here. Catholic with a small c means all Christians everywhere that make up the church, which includes the Roman Catholic Church. It also includes all the Eastern Orthodox churches. And so when we say this each week, you'll notice we have in parentheses universal. We're going to talk more about that in a minute because it's an important concept that we don't quite understand fully. But here's the thing. When we get to these um, markers of the Holy Spirit... The church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. We're not putting our faith in the church in the same way that we put our faith in God or in Jesus or in the Holy Spirit. Because you and I know all you have to do is take a a glance over the last 20, 30, 50 years and know that the church is not perfect. Amen? It's, It's not. It's made up of people, made up of fallen people, sinful people who are in the process of being saved of being cared for by the Spirit, of being corrected by Jesus and loved by Jesus and set free by Jesus and the resurrection. So we don't put our faith in the church as if the church has it all together or does everything perfectly. No, of course we don't. But we are forgiven, we are free, and we are what God chose to use. You and I, we are what God chose to use, as flawed as we are. Can you imagine that? There's no plan B. He, he looks at the disciples and he says, you're going to be the church. And my prayer for you, the, one of the last things Jesus says is a prayer that they would be one. As he and the Father are one. And that you and I here would be one. And, and it's not just that you get along with your Sunday school class or your small group. It's that every Christian everywhere were meant to be one. Can you imagine? There are more than 2 billion Christians on the planet. Can you imagine if we actually chose to get along? What that might look like? What power could be unleashed? People would be fed. Peace would break out where there's been war. Things would be healed that have been broken for centuries. If we would simply choose to honor the prayer of our master, Jesus. It is a top priority of mine, I'll tell you. It just is. I think around here, and you'll come to know, that the most important thing here is Jesus. And if you want to follow him. And if you do, we we think there's a good place to do that. And if you don't, you're going to be super frustrated because that's all we talk about around here. (laughs) It's how to follow Jesus. So to believe in the church means that we believe within the context of the church that you and I are a part of it, as flawed as we are. And we are. So it's not in as if the church is perfect. It's within. Yes, this is who we are. And God calls us out, the ecclesia in Greek. It's a called out people, not to be like everybody else in the world. We are to live differently. We are to forgive when others choose hate. We are to love when others are ambivalent. We are to give when others keep. We are to share with anyone who has need, not just those that can help us get a raise or leg up in our company or a neighborhood association. We help anyone who has need. So Reverend Adam Hamilton in his book, Creed, says it like this. He says, in the New Testament, the church is the gathering of people called out. It's a different kind of people called out by Jesus who belong to Jesus and therefore who seek not only to experience fellowship, connectedness with Jesus, but to do his will and his work in the world, not our will and our work. We do what Jesus asked us to do here. You might wonder, well, why do we worship on Sunday mornings? Because that's the day of the resurrection. Why do we worship in the morning? Because the resurrection was found in the morning. If I had my way, we'd worship about seven at night. I'm a night person. But that's not what we do. We used to do it. It didn't work. And so now (laughs) we worship on Sunday morning. Because that's the day of the resurrection. Now, this word holy simply means to be set apart, sacred. Right? So in the Bible, it means belonging to God or being set apart. Being set apart. So this chalice, right? Woo! It's filled. Is, is holy. Right? It's set apart for communion. What we do each week. In honor of Jesus. We do the Lord's Supper. Because that's what Jesus did. Now, this will not come as a surprise to you. Even if Pastor Brandon asked me. I don't let him drink Sprite out of this on a Wednesday. That's not what we do. Right? This is sacred. It's set apart. It's holy. Now, is there anything, you know, holy other because it's clay? No. The reason it's holy is because of its use. And that's it. It could just as easily be a plastic solo cup. You might be freaked out by it, but Jesus wouldn't be. Because it's set apart. And what makes you holy, what makes you sacred is not how good you are or how you're made. But if you will be open to God's use, that's what makes us holy. If you're open to God's will over your own. Being set apart of God, for God. So Husto Gonzalez was very helpful to me around this. He says, think of the phrase Holy Land. Any of y'all been to the Holy Land? Some of y'all been with me. Yeah, it's a great place. But let's remember, it is certainly not a land of moral perfection, where all love each other as they should, nor is it a land of peace. Oh, no. Yet we call it holy. Why? Because in so designating it, we remind ourselves that it is not only a land of war, it is, terrorism, it is, and hatred, it is, but it is also the land where it has pleased God to come to us, most clearly in the person of Jesus. And that makes the land holy. So we call the church holy for the same reason that we call the land holy, the holy land, because God is there. Just as that land over there is holy, this church over here and everywhere is also holy because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in it. That's what makes us holy. That's what makes anything holy. Now, when you get to the church, we get our word church from the German word Kirche. Now, the guys on the front row know a lot more German than I do, and they will let you know... That while uh, you can get to belonging to the Lord, it's also, uh, I'm told, you kind of got to get to the Greek and then to the German and back through to get there. But you can get there. But those of you who know German better than I do know that that's not a perfect translation from German. But that's what it means. Church means belongs to God. And so you may have noticed that there are, it's, it's been sort of in vogue uh, in the last 20, 30 years that when churches die, particularly in big cities, they become nightclubs. Now, you could argue that whether that's holy space or not, is God still there? Sure he is. Do people recognize him? I don't know. Of course, if we were really getting honest, we could say that about Sunday mornings here, too. Do you recognize and sense God's presence here? Are you open to it? Are you willing to be sacred, to be used by God for whatever God chooses? Adam Hamilton says it like this, your responsibility in being the church set apart means looking around to see who is alone, who may need a friend, who needs encouragement. It means inviting people to sit by you. Yes, you can do that. Or, this is really bold, asking if you can sit by them. What would it be like if every time somebody came to our church as a single person, which is hard to do, it's hard to do, that you never got to sit by yourself because we were falling over ourselves asking, would you like to sit with us? No? Well, then I'm going to sit by you. Because you're my friend. <laughs> Unless you're weird, then just don't do that. Let's leave them alone. But the thing is, we should be friendly to everybody without freaking them out. Right? This is, our, this is what we do. It means checking on people. And caring on those who need someone. It means visiting the elderly and the sick. It means providing support and care for the hurting. And it's a good reminder that pretty much any healing place that you would go in America today, it wasn't founded by a corporation. It wasn't founded as a for-profit. It was founded by a church or a synagogue. And many of you all were born in those places. Our oldest was born at Baptist. Anybody else have kids born at Baptist? Hospital? Sure you did. Hey, guess what? This is a hard one. Who founded it? The Baptist. Right? And what you may not know is Deaconess was a free Methodist hospital for years. Founded by the Free Methodist Church. Right? St. Anthony's? The Catholic Church. See, when we actually do the work of God, people are healed. The world has changed. People are given hope that would have no hope otherwise. So when we talk about the Holy Catholic Church... It's God's church made up of people from everywhere. Now, this is, this is the nuance that's super important that we get. The word Catholic actually means according to the whole. According to the whole. It's not just universal. It's more than that. It's according to the whole. So that what makes the church Catholic is not its presence everywhere, although that's true, but rather the fact that people from everywhere are a part of it and contribute to it. You get that? That's what makes us Catholic. That according to the whole, we are made up of all of God's people. Therefore, Gonzalez says, a variety of experiences and perspectives is not contrary to the Catholicity of the church. Quite the contrary. It is a necessary sign of it. To be more pointed, friends, if everyone who's sitting on your row looks like you, acts like you, votes like you, that's not church. That's a political party. Right? Church, according to the whole, is made up of Christians of every kind. That's church. That's power. That changes the world. And so we got a lot of work to do about becoming really a church made up of all people. Of all people. Because that represents God. One people don't represent God exclusively. That gets really dangerous. We've seen that through history over and over and over again. So who is the church? All who call on Christ, everyone around the world, and seek to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, boss and lifeguard. We are a part of one universal church made up of all people, open to people of all ages, nations, and races. And if you're a member here, you've said it out loud in front of everybody else so we never forget, open to people of all nations, ages, and races. That's the church. So the mission of every local church then is to discern Jesus Christ will above ours, above all else, and then to do it. That gets the hard part, right? Sometimes we know what God wants us to do, we just don't want to do it. And normally, if you really take the time to learn with someone who says they don't believe in God, you know what they really mean? I'm mad at God. Something's happened in their life. Their parents were not good parents, or maybe they passed, or maybe they had someone die of cancer didn't seem fair to them. It's not that they don't believe in God. It's they don't know how to forgive him for their pain. The church has to learn how to sit with these folks and to love them until they feel and sense and know the love of God surrounded by his people. Who lift them up when they're hurting and sit with them in their grief. Who wipe the tears from their eyes. Because the Bible says that's what happens in heaven that every tear is wiped from our eyes. Adam Hamilton puts it more pointedly than I would want to ever say to you. He says, if you're not regularly asking, where does God need me, and how can I love and serve others, then it's possible you're not yet a Christian. I would never tell you that. But that's what he put in his book. Right? It's a good question. Because isn't that the church? That's what makes us holy. That's what makes us sacred, is if we say to God, Lord, your will. When you get up in the morning, what do you want to do with me, Lord? Now, that doesn't mean changing jobs every day. It means hanging in in the job that you're you're already in and becoming a light there. Because that's our third core value, isn't it? Let your light shine. Let your light shine. And by the way, flashlights do a lot more good at midnight than they do at midday. So if there's a little darkness in your workplace, celebrate it. You are then the light. God is using you in that place. I'll just confess to you, this is not in the sermon notes, but it drives me batty when people start complaining about the demise of the Christian Church in America. Friends, we've known this fifty years ago. That's why we planted the church Acts Two United Methodist Church as a bulwark, as a place of heaven, knowing full well that by the time my children would have grandchildren, that we would be in the minority position. We knew this years ago. That's not news. That's not news. What you need and what your children need and what your grandchildren need is to learn how to shine so brightly that people are then again mesmerized by the church, whether we're in the power or not. The church has always grown more, done more, been better when we had our least. You want to see where the church is growing? It's in places like Africa or underground in China and other places. It's not where it's the majority political position. It never has been. All you have to do is look at Europe for that. So when we talk about Christianity, we want you to know the Lord so well, so closely that it doesn't matter whether you're in the majority or the minority, whether your p- workplace is filled with Christians or you're the only one. Our faith has to be deeper than whoever we're hanging out with that day. It just has to be for it to be faint, for it to be holy, for it to be sacred. So the communion of saints then, the, the commune of saints. Right? It refers to all Christians, communion, fellowship. All Christians, everywhere. And the Greek word hagios right, in the New Testament is used 235 times as saints, or as an adjective, as holy. And that makes it tricky, because we don't really know necessarily when it's holy or when it's saints, although we have some pretty educated guesses. So for Christians, the word saint or holy is both a present reality and a future calling. A future calling. So every morning... When we start the service, we say, good morning, saints. We know you guys aren't perfect. But that is who we're becoming. This is our hope. This is what we hold on to. Think about it, friends. If what makes you holy is your willingness to be used by God, if what makes you sacred is your willingness to be used by God, then is there anybody on the planet who can't be made holy in a moment? No. Anyone can become holy. If they're open to the Spirit in their lives. Because holiness is our calling. It is our goal to be completely surrendered to God in all areas of our lives. Not just in religious areas, but in all areas of our lives. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus, as it's always been. Really, the, the only thing Jesus said to his disciples when he was meeting them was follow me. That's it. Right? I mean, if it were me, I'd be like, now where are we going exactly? What are we doing? What's the skill set needed? By the way, do you have a resume? You know, I want to know what I'm getting into. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, follow me. So to be part of the communion, the fellowship, the oneness of saints, is to be and become the people God intends us to be. And to be willing to go there. To pay the price for that. Jesus would say it differently. Pick up your cross and follow me. Or you're not worthy of me. I was very pointed about that. So again, Adam Hamilton would say it like this. When Jesus came... He did not simply call individual disciples. He formed a community. The 12. A family. A people chosen to love and to continue his work in the world. And that's you and me, the church. And we do that, friends, with anyone who will do that with us. Anyone. Like the YMCA, like the Hope Center, like Project 66 like the regional food bank. If there are other people in the world doing the will and bidding of Jesus, then we will do it with them happily. We're not checking the resume. We simply join in the work of God with the people of God as one Catholic church. So the assembly or gathering is meant to be a foretaste of heaven. I mean, for people who have no hope when they come here, what we want is for them to actually have a sense of what God wants done is done. It's done here. The foretaste of in a place where people care for one another truly. They encourage one another and they build one another up. That's church. So saints are ordinary people who yield their lives to God. You all get this? Say it with me. Saints are ordinary people who yield their lives to God. Anybody know who this is? Sure you do. And if you don't, look it up. Right? This is Mother Teresa. Now what is her special skill? Well, compassion. Yeah. This is an ordinary woman who is extraordinary because she yielded her life to God. I don't think it's too far a stretch to say you wouldn't have heard of her otherwise. The reason we know her is because she yielded her life to God, and for no other reason. Now, this one is not quite as clear, but it is compelling. You know who that is. Dr. King. Right? What makes him known was his willingness to speak up for those who could not speak up for themselves. And that's what saints do. A saint is one who speaks up for those who can't speak up for themselves. That's what saints do. Right? We speak out for those who cannot speak for the rights of all the destitutes, says the wisdom of the Proverbs. Right? Speak out, the Bible says. Judge righteously, rightly. Defend the rights of the, say it with me. Poor and needy. That's what saints do. That's what the Bible calls us to. Again, think what the world would look like if we took this seriously. If we cared for the poor and the hurting and the sick and we spoke out for those who did not have a voice in our society. You see, saints find a way to bless others without seeking recognition. Without seeking recognition. Some of you have heard me... Talk about a, a widow of a United Methodist minister named Zola Cook. Zola was uh, in her late 80s when I met her at Guthrie First United Methodist Church, where my dad was pastor. And during the summer, I would often stop by uh, the parsonage, is like 50 yards from the church, and they're both yellow brick. You can't miss it. And so I would run over to tell Dad dinner's ready, or supper's ready, or you know lunch or whatever, um, or just to see him. And as I would, his office was by the sanctuary, and it was open by the sanctuary. And what I would see was Zola quietly doing what she did every week, which was to come down and place her hand on every pew in that historic sanctuary and pray for the people that would be there that week people who she had come to learn by name because she was one who would go and sit by you or ask you to sit with her. She knew what it was to be alone. Her husband had passed years and years and years before. And the power of that, she didn't do it to be seen. She didn't want to be seen. But if you wanted to know that you were prayed for, all you had to do was come to church. Because every single pew was prayed for every week by Zola Cook. It's a powerful witness to me. That's what sacred people do. That's what saints do. So this Greek word communio, it may mean fellowship, yes, but it also means sharing. That's what fellowship is, the sharing of what we have. That's what saints do. We share. And communion may mean fellowship, but it also means sharing. It really does. In such case, González says, an English translation would be the sharing of the saints. And the phrase would seem to refer to the sharing of the goods described in Acts, by the way, it's chapter 2, and practiced in varying degrees by the early church. Yes. So it goes like this. You've heard me say it before. All who believed were together, the scripture says in Acts 2. They had all things in common, not 10%, everything, all of it. And they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Anyone. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. Imagine if every time someone mentioned our church, they just lit up with joy. Because somehow we had blessed their family in some way. The goodwill of all the people. Not just a few, but all people. And because that was the case, day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Well, I guess so. If you could go to a place and know that your needs would be met, regardless of who you are, where you came from, what you look like, what your educational status was, wouldn't you be interested? I mean, that is a good insurance plan. Right? This is well before any sort of Social Security or government benefits any of that. This was the place people could come get their life back. So the communion of saints could mean the sharing of holy things, namely the sacrament, which is why when we have communion here, we always say, you're welcome. Because guess what? sacrament doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the world. You may say, well, okay. Well, why does this matter? Well, first of all, because you are an important part of an unending family of love and support. This is what you're part of as the church. Now, in Hebrews 11, it lists all these folks that were just a wonderful part of the faith before Jesus. And then it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, there he is again, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy, the joy, friends, that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So this worship that we do, that you're a part of today, it's a thin space where heaven and earth meet. Where saints on the way meet saints perfected. Because God's church is one church set apart for God's work. A communion of saints below and saints above. Here on earth and in heaven. So when you come to the altar rail or when you're singing, you're as close to Christ as you can ever be because as you lift up your hand to grab Jesus' hand on one side, those that have gone before us are holding his other. or singing to him because that's what happens in heaven where what God wants done is done. When I served a little church with an average worship attendance of seven, of seven, we would sing this song and the, the chorus gets me even now. It says, Oh, the love of God, how rich and pure. How measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure. The saints and angels' song. Together. That's who we are. So if we believe within the Holy Catholic Church, then we do God's work with people with whom we differ. Right? This is who we are. The church is holy when those who are a part of her recognize, Adam says, that she belongs to God, not to her members. We don't ask around here, what do you want to do? We pray around here, what does God want us to do? That's the question. And if we believe in the communion of saints, then our fellowship is with believers of all times and places, those that have gone before us and those that will follow after us, which means it matters what we do now, both to honor those that have gone before and to set up those who will come behind well to know how to live in the world they will grow up in, not the one we wish we used to be in. Those are different. And if we believe in the communion of saints, then we share resources and holy things with everyone. With everyone. You'll notice that when we serve the sacrament here, we don't ask, you know, for what you did that week. We simply honor and give Christ to you. Because this is so important, friends, because when God sees pain and brokenness, injustice and need in the world, he doesn't send angels to address it. He sends you, the church. He sends the church. That's the way it's always been. Now, 23 years ago, people from more than 500 churches, about 250,000 United Methodists decided that someone should come up here to reach you. They didn't know you. They don't know your faces. They didn't know you'd be moving here, but they knew someone would. And so they invested $150,000, $75,000 the first year, fifty dollars the next, twenty-five dollars the next, so that you would have a church to be different than the churches that already existed here, which there were many good churches at the time. And we weren't trying to take anything away from any of those. And and those of you who have been with us a long time know that, right? And so people invested in you that you'll never know. We were in a high school and then a middle school, seven years before we ever got to this campus. Again, many of those people you will never know, never see. But they believed in you. They believed in what we're doing. And so today, you and I have the great privilege and honor and opportunity to continue that work for people that we will never know, that we may never see. Now, we may, most likely not. You do realize that every church in existence never has all the people that made it what it is. Not one. Even when we were a year old, there were people that had already come and gone, invested, and then gone on. The church is simply the people of God set apart for the work of God. And so, um, during the offering, uh, we're going to place this box right here. And we're going to invite you, if you're a part of our faith community, to turn in your estimate of giving. We hope you will. Whatever that may be, it helps us plan. I'm very pleased to let you know that this year over last year, we're 11% up. That's great news from just the leadership and the staff of your church. That's great news. have given nearly a half a million dollars the people that lead the church. This is great news, and we want you to be a part of that, something that's growing and healthy and good here in Edmond, Deer Creek, Cash and Guthrie, the whole area. And, I know what you're thinking. Wow, I picked the wrong Sunday to visit. <laughs> right? no, no worries. Just stay where you are and talk to God about where you are going to invest your life. Because that's what makes you holy. That's what makes the church. That makes it sacred. Because every child of God needs to be investing in the things of God. Somewhere. Because that's what makes us church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, you are so good, and we are so grateful. We thank you that others had vision before we ever were born, ever got here. We thank you for all those that have gone before us, those that have invested in this place, who bought the land and built one building and then two and then three, those who served in the children's area and classrooms, those who set up chairs and scooped out potatoes from the high schoolers from the day before. And we thank you for those who have never set foot on our campus, but that made it happen. And we thank you for them all. In Jesus' mighty name, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.